Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll eventually get to that passage. If you look at your notes, we're talking this morning about the myth of the perfect church. How many know there's no perfect church? Some of you may have heard rumors in the grapevine. How many know the grapevine works very effectively? <laughs> you know, I'm amazed that, that uh, from Friday night, the word goes out, <laughs> spreads through the body. Just absolutely amazing to me how this works. But we are, we are anticipating some changes, as many of you no doubt have heard, varying degrees and had some visibility. Certainly our leadership team has had the most visibility. Some structural changes in the life of our church after the first of the year. We're gearing up for those things right now at the, at the staff level, the leadership level. The idea, very simply, is not to disrupt things. The idea is to provide a broader venue for more people actually uh, to become involved in the life of the church. We have currently, best estimate, about 40% of our people who, who call Hope Chapel or church, about 40% of the people involved in any kind of significant fellowship, community, ministry. And, uh, and so we've been praying and asking God to give us uh, wisdom and understanding about how then to, to incorporate the other 60%. Um, if you, if you believe and if you understand that the, the overarching focus of the church can be summed up in one word, and that word would be growth, that we grow as Christians, that we grow into the, into the likeness of the image of Christ. Now, certainly God is at work in us, but we also are to work out our salvation, aren't we? We are to follow His lead, if you will. So if, if, that's, if growth is the, is the dynamic, and then we look and say, well, how did the early church grow? What, what's the model? And we see two major components, and those components are, one, they met together daily in the temple courts. So they, they had large meetings, much as we do with our weekend services. But then the second component was that they met daily in homes, and they, they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to uh, the breaking of bread. They were devo- in, in so small groups. Now, we've had for, for years, for almost 40 years, we've had small groups. Uh, we call them mini-church, and they have been, for the most part, really the core and the backbone of our church. So we, we know and understand that small groups uh, provide a tremendous environment for people to grow. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have met their spouse in mini-church. Uh, how many people in our church have, have grown as a result of many church and, and how many uh, of, of our leaders who've gone out and planted churches were originally started as uh, many church pastors or many church shepherds. So we know that that environment is a very, very effective environment, small groups. But again, what do you, what do, you do with the other 60%? So we're, we're broadening the venue in allowing uh, a much broader environment for people to participate in a small group. And those small groups will meet on a, on a, on a semester basis. So uh, for, for 10 to 12 weeks, 
We take a, take a month off, meet for 10 to 12 weeks, take a month off. This gives the leaders a chance to rest. Uh, this gives the host and hostess a chance to rest uh, by taking that month break. And it provides a broad venue so the classes uh, can change uh, semester to semester. Uh, you can take an HCMI class. You can study about heaven. Uh, there's, there's lots of topics we're going to make available. So I'm really, really excited about the fall. And uh, if, you're appreh- if you have any apprehensions or you're concerned or worried or fearful, um, I just have one little phrase for you. Trust the Lord. We believe that God is directing us and guiding us, and, and we're really, really excited about that. Now, I say all of that uh, to say this. Uh, a number of you have in, been anticipating, because I said I would do this, teach the book of Revelation. However, we're not going to do that. Uh, because I've got to address the issue of, of fellowship and community and those kinds of things and, and get us thinking more along those lines. And uh, so we're, we'll get to Revelation down the road. Uh, I can't tell you when. Um, I promise before I die, I try. Well, I'll actually try to <laughs> teach Revelation. So for those of you who've been... I know I've got a number of people saying, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And, and I just thought, well, I just better make the announcement rather than one-on-one. So, okay, so don't hold your breath, just trust God. We'll get there. Okay? So I want to talk to you this morning about the myth of the perfect church. Some of this would be very, very familiar to most of you, but it certainly, I think, bears repeating. We find that we we live in a culture today, uh, even with many Christians, uh, wittingly or unwittingly, they're aware of it or not, they fit into the category of what I call church shoppers and church hoppers. This means basically that people are, are going from church to church or hopping from church to church. They are, whether they realize it or not, they are shopping for the perfect church that will perfectly meet their needs. Now here's the question that we want to ask. Here's the question we want to address. Should you move on if your church is not meeting your needs? Should you move on if your church is not meeting your needs? Now, I want to give you a little quiz. And there's a series of questions. I've listed them for you in your notes. And there's a little space where you can put a check mark. Put a check mark in that space if you have ever thought this or said this. Now, some people have told me over the weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, that they checked every single blank. <laughs> Others said, I've never checked one. So whatever, whatever fits your, your situation, just look with me. My church just isn't meeting my needs, my spouse's needs, my kids' needs. If you've thought that or said it, put a check mark. I have no friends at this church. If you've ever thought that or said it, put a check mark. I'm not being spiritually fed in this church. I wish this church would emphasize, there's a blank there, something more. And you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you think the church should emphasize more. I don't agree with the church's decision to... Again, a blank, you're free to fill in the blank. 
The youth program or the children's program is not meeting my kids' needs. I don't think the church's music fits my style or tastes. That's always a big one. I wish I didn't have to deal with a certain person every time I come to church. Don't put my name in there. (laughs) There is no special program. There's no special group for me, my spouse, or my kids in this church. Now, if you've checked any number of those blanks and and you feel some measure of frustration for yourself, just pay attention, listen to me. What I have to say may, in fact, help you. We live today, I think you'll agree, we live today in a consumer-oriented society. Would you agree with that? And in that consumer-oriented society, it's not hard for us Again, just not even realizing it, it's not hard for us to look at church as some kind of commodity. In other words, if it doesn't meet my needs or my expectations, change brands. We do that a lot. We change brands if the thing doesn't meet our needs or our expectations. Church variety. Church variety is at an all-time high today. I mean, there are lots of churches. And just with a fair amount of, 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 of persistence and or diligence, Christians can find a specific church that emphasizes the theological, the social, the familial, the communal, educational, artistic, even architectural uh, style that they desire. And yet, though that's true, that though church... Variety is at an all-time high. Overall, church attendance is not increasing. The average length of attendance at a church has decreased dramatically over the last generation or two. Our, for some of us, our parents or our grandparents or maybe even our great-grandparents, if they were Christians and they were churched, they probably attended one or at the most two churches over their lifetime. Contrast this with the results of more recent studies on uh, church attenders. In the more recent studies and and surveys, we find that the average length of stay in the church today for the average believer is somewhere between the two, two and four years. That is dramatically different. If a particular church is growing today, it is more likely due to transfer growth rather than conversion growth. In other words, people moving into the church from other churches rather than people getting saved. See, there's no such thing as a perfect church. But the question still remains, why is it that so many Christians keep looking for the perfect church? Why why is it that the length of stay in a church is so short Why are people moving from church to church to church? Why do so many people keep moving from church to church, hoping to find the one that will perfectly meet their needs today and in the future? We have this wonderful gift. It's called freedom of choice, don't we? 
But I want you to notice something. With freedom of choice has come not satisfaction, but dissatisfaction. With freedom of choice, we don't necessarily have peace in our life. But rather, we're frustrated. We find ourselves being dissatisfied. Now, my message to you this morning is about the dissatisfaction. Both a legitimate and also the misdirected dissatisfaction that many Christians feel towards the local church. See, it's more, it's much more than just church shopping. It's much more than just church hopping. It's about the true meaning and the true purpose of the church and how we fit into it. Church isn't just about finding the perfect place to meet our needs. It's also about becoming a contributing part of the local church body. And that body, hopefully, is learning to grow together. Where do I fit in this body that is learning to grow together? If you ask just an average 10 Christians, just randomly, why they go to church you will hear, no doubt, responses that are not at all dissimilar. Most everybody has the same reasons for going to church. And they're kind of general global reasons. I go to church to be fed from the Word. I go to church because I want my children to learn about the Christian life and make Christian friends. I go to church because it's the only place I can meet other believers like myself. I go to church because I need support and encouragement. And church provides that for me. I think most of us would, would, for the most part, agree with those. Most of those reasons would be reasonable uh, for us to, uh, to state. For most of us, indeed, the church is the place where we learn about God's will for our lives. The church is the place where we, where we meet other Christians. It is the place where we find answers to the needs and doubts that affect us. But our view of the church has become largely need-focused. Our view of the church has become need-focused. And the question we want to do is we want to say, well, how does our contemporary focus and understanding of the church, the purpose of the church, compare with the original intent of the first century church? Now, when you read the book of Acts and you read Paul's letters to those young churches, you find that the early believers had the same need for support. They had the same need for instruction. They had the same need for uh, real answers to life's issues and questions and needs. Acts chapter 2 speaks clearly about a church community that provided uh, for the very real practical, material, and as well spiritual needs of the people in that community. If you go over to 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes that, the, that great passage on, on spiritual gifts, chapter 12 through 14. And in that passage, he emphasizes the value of all the diverse gifts that are given to the church. And those gifts are given to help one another grow. All that would culminate in an important principle 
to understand for the church, for its mission and its focus. This is the fundamental principle when you distill it all down. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. That's a key thought. That's a key phrase for the strengthening of the church. Because if the church is not strong, if the church is not growing, if the church is not maturing, we have no impact on the culture. Does that make sense? In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he defines even more clearly this strengthening or this mutual building up of one another. This is where I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. It was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. So these are, are gifts and, and, and gifted people that he has given to the church. The next verse tells us why he gave these to the church. Why did he give these to the church? Verse 12. Somebody? To prepare God's people for works of what? Service. So that, now notice what he says now. So that what? The body of Christ may be what? Built up until we all reach the unity in the faith. So in other words, we're all maturing. We're all growing in the faith. We're becoming mature, he'll say in a second here. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The goal of being in the church, of being a participating member of the church, is that I grow up, I mature. I mature as a person, but more so I mature as a Christian. Coming to church, just to come to church, doesn't bring me any maturity. He goes on and he says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The point is that God means for us to, to be more and more and more and more and more like who? Like Jesus. If you go back to the beginning in Genesis, you recall in Genesis chapter 1, uh, God says, let us make man in our what? In our image, in our likeness. Why did God make man in the first place, do you suppose? Why did God make man? How many parents do we have? How many parents do we have? You made children? Question. When you made the kids, did you have any idea what you're going to do with them? Probably not. You probably didn't know how you're going to take care of them, feed them, pay for them. You probably, you know, all you knew is what you wanted them. We'll figure out all that other stuff later. God wanted kids. Now, does he need kids? No, he's perfectly, perfectly satisfied within the context of the fellowship he has with the Trinity, within the Trinity. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And so he had kids. And like a loving father, he walked and talked with his kids in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And then something happened. What happened? Yeah, just like all kids, we rebelled. 
We separated ourselves from him. We, we went our own way. We wanted to experience our own independence rather than remain in that dependent relationship with him. Aren't you glad that God didn't just do away with us? Aren't you glad that he pursued us and pursued us and pursued us? He's, he's restoring the image that we lost back in the garden. He's restoring that image so that you and I could once again have complete, total, perfect fellowship with him one day. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That we really, really become like him. And of course, this brings him glory, doesn't it? Just like any parent, any parent whose child grows up and attains to all the measure, the fullness of their potential, that parent goes, wow, I'm so proud of my kid. Aren't we? He says in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Uh, we don't want to be thought of as spiritual infants, do we? Immature, not knowing what's true, tossed back and forth and, and being at the mercy of, of, of any and every person who comes along and, 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 and tries to uh, tell us stuff that isn't true. No. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, you see, do you see the, the body of Christ there? Do you see the, the focus? The focus is what? It's growth, it's maturity, it's becoming like Jesus. That's what we're about. And in that contest, God is glorified. And we ultimately want Him glorified. Amen? That's what I thought. A careful evaluation of the early church also reveals an aspect of its purpose that is often overlooked or even forgotten by need-focused Christians. That aspect can be summed up in two simple words. When you read the New Testament, you see these words come again and again and again. Those two words are one another. One another. Mutual edification. The mutual building up of one another seems to be the purpose of the church, but not in a self-serving way. We can feign interest. We can, we can fake each other out, can't we? We can, we can pretend like I really want to be a help to you when in fact I, I just want to use you. That is not the one another. That isn't, that's not the kind of one another mutual edification building up that the church is about. We want to build each other up, but not in a self-serving kind of way. Am I making sense? We come together simply to build up one another. 
not just to be built up ourselves. The priority has to shift. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, well, I didn't get anything. My needs aren't being met. Blah, 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 blah. And my response is, it's not about you getting your needs met. It's about you participating. It's about you bringing something to the table. It's about you bringing your giftedness, your experience, your background, your knowledge to the table in, in, in contributing. Church does exist to meet needs. But only in the mutual participation and contribution of every member as we exercise our gifts to benefit one another. Church is need-focused, but also other-centered. Somebody asked me not too long ago, they said, well, you know, what can I honestly expect from church? I thought that was a great question. What can I honestly expect from church? And I thought for a moment, and my response was, that your needs will be addressed, but they'll be addressed in the context of your active participation in expressing your giftedness and helping others in their needs. That can be summed up in one simple verse that Jesus uttered. Give... And it shall be given. Notice the, the, the accent is, is on the first you give. You give. When you live by faith, you can set your needs aside because you know and you believe God has promised to make sure that you're taken care of. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you're so worried about, they'll be taken care of. Don't sweat it. Give and it shall be given. God wants us to, to walk by faith. He doesn't say, wait till it's given to you, then you can give. Does he? No, he says, give and it shall be given to you. In the properly functioning church, in the properly functioning church, question, can you expect your personal needs to be fully met? Let me say it again. In the properly functioning church, can you expect your personal needs to be fully met? All right, let's have a vote. Okay. You know I like to have votes. How many vote? Let me say the, let me say the phrase again. In the properly functioning church, Can you expect your personal needs to be fully met? How many vote yes? Oh, come on. How many vote no? How many aren't sure? How many think it's a trick? Are we perfect people or imperfect people? Does that give you a clue? You see, as long as you and I are imperfect people, I want to suggest to you that uh, therein lies the problem. We're not perfect people. Therefore, I cannot expect all my needs to be fully met, even in a properly functioning church. 
whoever originally said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, or you will what? You'll ruin it. I don't know whoever said that first, but I, you know that, that, that is so true. But that person knew firsthand where the primary fault lay. There can never be a perfect church as long as there are only imperfect people to make up its parts. The Apostle Paul, the chief of all church planters, never planted a church that met everyone's needs. Do you know that? And if he couldn't do it, we certainly can't do it. In his letters to imperfect churches... Paul knew that it would be infinitely frustrating to promise believers they could somehow find or produce the perfect church body. Go find a place where your needs will be fully met. Was never part of Paul's counsel, teaching, advice. However, what he did say to believers... Seeking meaningful community was more realistic and more knowledgeable of the human condition. He said things like this. Agree with one another. What a novel idea. Agree with one another so that there be maybe no divisions among you. We somehow seem to delight in divisions. Making a mountain out of a molehill. Agree with one another. He said, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. Notice that. Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look should look not only to your own needs but also to the interests of others. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive. Now why why would he have to say all those things, do you suppose? Do we do them naturally? No, we do just the opposite. If we did them, he wouldn't have to say them. In other words, Paul very simply just says, don't embark on a frustrating search for the perfect children's ministry. Don't embark on a frustrating search for the perfect preacher or the perfect pastor or for the perfect uh, music Instead, he says, learn to get along. Learn to get along. Focus on the needs of others. Seek unity, not division. And love imperfect people. Whoa! Yeah, but you know what that person's like? Yeah, just like you. Now, question... 
Having said all that, are there still valid reasons to leave one local church and look for another? Are there poor reasons to do the same? Yes. I've given you six reasons. Six good reasons to look for another church. Let's just look at them. Number one, the teaching is not helping me. Number two, my children have no friends there. Number three, there are no singles program for me. You can read that also, no available men. (laughs) Or the flip side of that coin, no available women. Number four, the church does not emphasize evangelism. Number five, the members are not friendly. Or there is doctrinal error being taught. Six good reasons to look for another church. Would you agree? All right, now let's look, for, let's look at six poor reasons to look for another church. Ready? Six poor reasons. The teaching is not helping me. My children have no friends there. There are no singles program or men or women available. The church does not emphasize evangelism. The members are not friendly. There is doctrinal error being taught. Do you notice anything about the good and poor reasons? Yeah, both lists are the same. You say, well, well, how can the same statement be for one person a good reason to look for another church, while for another person it's a poor reason? How can that be? Well, let's just look at one of those reasons. Let's just take an example. Doctrinal error, for example. Doctrinal error, would that be an automatic red flag, do you think, for a quick exit to the door? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. For most believers, I think we agree that false teaching is not to be trifled with. We're not to fool around with it. We need to be very, very cautious of those who twist the Word of God to uh, serve their own purposes. But Scripture does tell us that those who do teach error should be warned, and they indeed should be rebuked if necessary, and even disciplined. Now, to heed those commands, what's that going to require? It's going to require someone has to stay behind and deal with the problem. If everybody leaves, you got nothing. So it's not necessarily a good reason to leave a church. You want to be, you want to serve a redemptive purpose if possible. See, the point I hope is obvious. The presence of a deficiency in a church, the presence of a problem in a local church, is not in and of itself, sufficient reason to leave. Remember, every church has problems. I read a book years ago, probably 40 years ago. I'll never forget this book. It was called The Myth of the Greener Grass. 
It's we all have been tempted at some point to look across the fence and say, you know, the grass looks greener on that side of the fence. But when you get over there, guess what? You still got to mow it. You still got to take care of it. Every church has problems. The real issue is this. Does that problem, does that deficiency prohibit my ability to be a part of a mutually edifying community or does it really have little or nothing to do with it? In other words, is that problem really going to inhibit my growth? Or is it just like a little brush fire on the side here? Does that make sense to you? Is the church's deficiency critical to my spiritual growth or the growth of others, or is it simply incidental? Sometimes I think we make a mountain out of a molehill over some of this stuff. You see, knowing the true purpose of the church, we should... We should seek wisdom. We should seek the leading of the Holy Spirit, certainly. We should seek wise counsel from, from wise and trusted and experienced friends that, we, that, that are in our life if we are to know that our reasons for wanting to leave are valid or invalid. In other words, don't just lean on your own understanding and just go do your thing. Just because my needs are not being met at the moment does not mean it's time to move on. Church isn't isn't just about finding the perfect place to meet my needs. It's also about becoming a contributing member of that local body that is learning to grow together. The question is, are we, are we in this together? Are we growing together? Are we growing, are we encouraging one another? Are we learning how to incite one another on to love and good deeds? Sometimes changing churches is not the best way to help others grow. And certainly it's not the best way to learn to grow ourselves. You see, it's kind of like being married and having kids. If, if you're, if you're going to have a, a successful marriage... You gotta grow, right? You don't just get into the marriage and expect the marriage to work. You gotta work the marriage. It draws things out of you. You go, oh man, I thought this was gonna be heavenly bliss. <laughs> no, it's warfare. But it's redeeming warfare. You gotta really give to that other person. And then you find that it starts coming back to you, huh? You start getting blessed in return. It's like having kids. Man, kids, isn't that great? Yeah, kids. Whoa, what did we think? (laughs) You have kids, that makes you grow. Being in the church is not just sitting in a pew or sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. Being in a church is being an active, participating member, contributing to the needs of others. Your needs will be taken care of. You don't ever have to worry about that. God's greatest work is to get us from being me-centered to other-centered. Amen? Lord, thank you.
Thank you, Lord, that you do put us in places where we are forced to grow. And Lord, you've given us every resource, everything we need for life and godliness. We thank you for that. Lord, as we just just do a, just an overview of this whole subject, I pray that each one of us would consider much more seriously our part, our role, what you've called us to, what our giftings are, and how we can be a source of strengthening, encouragement, and fellowship with others. That your body would be built up. That we would take responsibility. Lord, I ask your blessing on our church in, in every way. And, and as we anticipate a, a shift in our structure this next year, Lord, that you would indeed have your way in us. That your will would be done. We love you this morning. We give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor as we always...